Welcome to Conversations Live. For more than a decade, we've brought you the best in books, entertainment, celebrity interviews, and current events. When the movers and shakers of the world have something to say to you, they say it to us first. Here's your host, Cyrus Webb. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations Live. I'm your host, Cyrus Webb. Glad you all could join us once again. But for a radio audience tuning in here in Mississippi at WYAD 94.1 FM and WYADonline.com, we're glad that you all could be with us. Also, tuning in through online affiliates around the world, thanks to our podcast. We're glad you all could be with us as well. This next guest, I think, is one that you guys will really enjoy. Whether you have been keeping in contact with the hearings on Capitol Hill about UFOs, you're a fan of science fiction, or you've been looking at the advancements taking place with artificial intelligence, I think we're always thinking about our lives. Are we the only ones out there? And if so, what does that mean for us as human beings? Our next guest is science journalist and author Jamie Green. She's written a great new book called The Possibility of Life, Science, Imagination, and Our Quest for Kinship in the Cosmos. We're going to talk to Jamie not only about the inspiration for the book, but also what it's like for her to look at how some of the popular thoughts out there, the popular work out there as well when it comes to science fiction, and also why it is something that interests us so much. If you all are just now hearing about the book, I'll let you know how to get your own copy of it. Jamie, thank you again for the time. really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Jamie, this is an interesting topic, and I was excited about this book, so shout out to our friend Leslie at Open Book Publicity for telling me about this, because I, I love science fiction. My fans, my friends will tell you, uh, uh, Jamie, I'm quoting uh, Matrix all the time, so I was glad to see a great Matrix <laughs> reference uh, in, the, <laughs> in the book. What has it been like for you to see the early response to the book, Jamie? It's been really interesting because the book covers so much. The book has a lot of science, a lot of sci-fi, a lot of thinking about, like, how we make meaning about our place in the world. And it's always interesting to see which aspect of that different people gravitate to because it's always different. Yeah. And for myself, I have to admit, I didn't know exactly what to expect when I started the book. But what I thought was so interesting was how you do kind of interweave, you know, what are, of course, as I mentioned, Matrix, but I mean, science fiction writing in there, but also just what we know about the world, what we don't know about the world and our curiosity. I want to talk about the curiosity aspect, because I think it's because of that curiosity and that wonderment, that's what leads people to speculate about what is and is not. Is that kind of at the heart of what you've seen, that regardless of what brings people to the book, the curiosity is what kind of gets them hooked into it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I that was what drew me to writing the book, too, that there were all these fascinating scientific questions, and I wanted to learn more about them. I, once I started learning more, I was excited to share it with other people, but then also the curiosity about how to fit these pieces together, how to fit together the fact that, you know, scientists are searching for signs of life on Mars, on planets around other stars, and at the same time people are reading and writing stories and movies about what that life might be like. And I'd never seen anyone put all that together and, and see what all that added up to. And that was, that was my biggest curiosity going into this. I introduced you as a science journalist, uh, Jamie. When did your own love of the what if, when did that, that start for you? It's really been my whole life. Um, my dad and my grandfather on my mother's side both really nurtured a love of science and the, and the natural world in me. My dad loved space. He loved sci-fi. My grandfather was an engineer and a gardener. Um, and so whether it was going to the Natural History Museum, watching a lunar eclipse, watching Star Trek, like it's always been there for me 
right from the beginning. But it did take me a long time to realize that I could combine that with my love of writing. Right. And now here you have a book like this that (laughs) definitely does dive into a lot of history, uh, Jamie, but also I think a lot of what our fascination has been when it comes to our place in the world. And I love the way that you're able to kind of give these different dichotomies of some, of course, who think about, you know, quote-unquote aliens uh, invading us, but also other writers, science writers, uh, science fiction writers, who talk about, you know, humans kind of invading this you know this planet, uh, you know, and and our place here. So I want to talk about that because it comes down to a big thing that you talk about in the book, and that is the idea of our place, our connection, our connection with not just ourselves but with the world. What was that like for you to explore, Jamie? The idea of, in many ways, we don't want to feel like we're alone. We like we want to think that there is more out there, even if. You know, as you talk about in the book, we may not be as advanced, quote-unquote, as we think we are. Yeah, I mean, one of the really interesting ideas I encountered in my research um, was that one of the reasons that we find this question so important is for for people who have moved away from religion, and as society as a whole has moved away from at least being, you know, organized around a single unified religion. Religion gives us a sense of our place in the cosmos. It gives us a context within which to understand humanity, you know, and it tells a story about why we're here and what that means. And without that, we have science, but science on its own doesn't tell us what things mean. It doesn't tell us, you know, what we mean. And so we're looking for a new way to contextualize ourselves within the cosmos. And for a lot of people, that's thinking about alien life, because If we think of ourselves as alone, which, as you mentioned, you know, is not necessarily have some blind spots when you're looking at other Mm -hmm. life on Earth. But if we do think of ourselves as alone, we don't we don't know what that means. We don't know what the whole universe is for. And imagining that the universe is full of life makes it mean that the universe is for making things like us, you know, that we're just part of the big picture. And so there's a there's a big sense of belonging and meaning in that. But like you mentioned, you know, we think of ourselves as alone, as an intelligent technological species, and we are the only species on Earth with, like, advanced technology. But there's a lot of really smart, really interesting life on Earth. And something that really surprised me in writing the book is how writing about evolutionary biology or animal intelligence made me feel more connected to life on earth whether it's realizing how smart but alien dolphins are or how differently a bat experiences the world or even just the fact that like all the life that you can see with your eye has a single common ancestor and we all process um we all make energy within ourselves in the exact same way. Like that also gives me a, a really powerful sense of connection. Well, I love that. And I think, too, one of the things that – well, two things just came to mind as you were talking, Jamie. One is when you talk about the dinosaur, what if the dinosaur was not extinct? How would we feel then <laughs> about our place, right, on this earth? Um, and, but also I love the idea that you talk about, you know, kind of thinking about ourselves, when the idea of AI. Now, I have to say, I did not think about AI, and I should have, but I did not think about it when I initially went into this book. But now, you know, great for you, it is all in the news about 
<laughs> the conversations about AI and, of course, these, these tech leaders even saying, hey, maybe we need to slow things down a little bit. You know, do we really know what we're doing? What has that been like for you to see how that conversation has taken place, especially in the context of your book? Yeah, I mean, it's a really it's a really funny moment to be writing about AI or to have written about AI. And actually, when I was when I was recording the audiobooks, I recorded the audiobook myself. I got to the section of the book on AI, and I was like, "Ooh, did I write this before ChatGPT? Is this about to feel really outdated?" Um, but no, I, I do mention ChatGPT in there. But I was also surprised when AI came up. I hadn't been planning on writing about it. I was planning on writing about technology. Because when we imagine advanced aliens, we're really imagining different paths that an advanced civilization can take, different ways that we might – it's like testing out different possible futures. Um, Do we want to be conquerors and colonizers, or do we want to be like socialist pacifists like in in Star Trek? But I asked scientists, you know, what do you think – if alien life is out there, what do you think it's like? And I was surprised how many people said, I think it's – not biological anymore. I think it's machines. Um, sometimes they were saying that because they think that smart machines are going to be humanity's successors and will, um, you know, succeed biological life everywhere. And sometimes it was just because if we're thinking about who's out in space, a machine is better at space travel than a human. You know, they don't get radiation poisoning. They don't get motion sick. And so maybe the biological beings stay on their home world and explore the cosmos through these intelligent machines. Yeah. And I think it, it's interesting in anyone who's following and listening to these individuals from NASA kind of talk about, you know, the excitement they have about being able to see exactly what is out there. And, again, it goes to that bigger point that you're making. I mean, the idea of feeling – for one, like we're not by ourselves, but also understand better understanding the world, becoming smarter by understanding what's out there for sure. Were there any parts of this research that surprised you, Jamie? Did you go into the book with one idea, and then even you were surprised by some of the directions that the that the book took when it comes to exploring life here and and outside of here? Absolutely, and like that's one of the great things about writing a book from a place of curiosity is. A lot, of, a lot of things surprised me. I mean, one thing that surprised me is, you know, when we talk about um, what it feels like to be alone, people often ask me, one of the, the like, common questions I'm getting is, you know, how do you think it would change human society if we found proof of life elsewhere? And one of the things that really surprised me in my research was learning that up until mm, maybe 100 years ago or even the 1970s, depending on how you're counting, we thought there was life on other worlds. We just assumed, you know, um, in the Renaissance, one, it was known that the planets, the other planets and Earth were planets. Everyone just assumed that, well, if, if Earth has life and those are planets like Earth is a planet, then they probably have life too. Um, and then, you know, in the 1910s, there were, people thought that there were canals on Mars, that there was a civilization on Mars. And this was just like people were going about their daily lives thinking there was a civilization on Mars. And even until the uh, Viking mission in the 70s to Mars, which was our first lander on Mars, some scientists reasonably thought that when we landed on Mars, we were going to find grass. We were going to find not, you know, rocks and dust that we could hunt for microbes in, but obvious signs of life. 
So it's only in the last century or so that we've become more and more, uh, it seemed more and more possible that we're alone because it's like the more we learn, the more alone we realize we might be. But there have been whole centuries where human society thought that we were not alone and just took that for granted. Yeah. And something came to mind as you were talking just now. How much of that do you think that shift in our thinking, Jamie, how much of that do you think is out of fear? I guess because, you know, anyone who watches movies, and you know, we all say, okay, we know how this story is. You know, even yeah. I noticed last week I was reading some stories about uh, with AI and, and people say, okay, didn't we see this already? Haven't we already? Don't we know this is not a good idea <laughs> to be doing this? How much of that shift do you think has been because of fear? I I mean, I think the shift towards thinking that we are alone is is more from scientific knowledge that, you know, we send okay. probes to Mars, we realize there's not any obvious life on Mars. We uh, learn more about how life began on Earth and we realize that it's more of a fluke. Um, you know, like when people were thinking that if there's another planet, there's necessarily life on there, that, that was before you know, we had gotten rid of the idea of spontaneous generation, which is that life just sort of pops out of matter, that there's this, like, you know, vital force that gives rise to life. Um, You know, we now know a lot more about the origins of biochemistry. But I do think that fear inspires our stories about AI, about aliens. You know, you mentioned earlier stories about aliens conquering us or us, you know, conquering them and and those are ways of in a lot of cases of sort of um trying to understand and make sense of human history of of genocide and of conquest you know um the war of the world explicitly is about colonization in africa like that's in the introduction and you know some newer novels like um mary daria russell's the sparrow is ex- was explicitly inspired by the 500th anniversary of Columbus and Tade Thompson's Rosewater, which is an alien conquest story set in Nigeria is, is very much inspired by the author's experience of neocolonialism. Like he says this, you know, so these are fictional ways of, of processing and looking from a different angle at these stories of human history. And then when we have fear for the future, it's also a projection of our sins of the past. Like some of the people who are most afraid of AI are technologists, are people like Elon Musk, um, who, you know, uh, 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 one source I talked to in the book pointed out that these guys who make all this technology are most afraid of technology because it's like they think the only thing that can defeat them is the thing that they made. So it's, it's, a lot of projection of our own guilt and fear of human nature. Um, And it's also a weird kind of hubris, you know, like, oh, the only thing that can defeat us is our own creation. Yeah, I think that that is one of the the big things, too. I think, you know, as as I was thinking about some of the interviews that you did for the book, um, one of them is, is the last thing, is it pronounced Abel Mendez, Jamie? Is that right? Abel Mendez, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think about some of, you know, some of these, and I thought, you know, it's one of those things that um, 
we have to read and think about and really kind of consider because one of the reasons why I bring that up is because you write in the book, boundaries between this world and others began to fade as far as talking about these different conversations. It wasn't life elsewhere that held the magic anymore. It was that life existed anywhere at all. We were just an, as improbable and as important as whatever we hope might exist on worlds beyond. And, and I thought it, it was such an interesting thing because – there is this idea, and even you talk about the longing. You know, there is this longing sometimes of wanting to know that there is something out there, which is an interesting full circle to this conversation, Jamie, because you mentioned at the beginning a lot of this came from, you know, for some, uh, their, their change in idea of faith. So mm-hmm. what was that like for you to think about as you kind of heard these conversations, kind of think about that? Because even with that, thinking about, okay, well, if there are, is life out there? Well, who? How did it get there? Who created it? <laughs> so, you know, um, what was that like for you to kind of think about in these conversations and observations? Yeah, that's something that I saw coming up more in historical writings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in sort of the century after Copernicus and Galileo, when it was discovered that the Earth isn't the center of the solar system and the solar system isn't the center of the universe and that Earth is not the only planet. Like, before Galileo's telescopes, all we knew of the planets was basically what we saw with the naked eye. So we knew that they were bright points of light. They looked like stars, but they didn't twinkle, and they didn't move with the stars. That was all we knew. Um, And then when it was revealed that Earth wasn't special, that was a lot to grapple with theologically. You know, um, our... You know, if you're if you're Christian, like, did Jesus save all the world or just us? Um, are we still special to God? Or other people found this expansive and and thought, you know, all of these other worlds are God's children. These are our our brothers, and it was this like ecstatic discovery. They thought that um, that you know their kinship was was vast instead of being limited to one world. Yeah. Yeah, it is it is definitely fascinating and very timely, I think, which is why I'm so mm-hmm. glad we have a chance to talk to you about it, Jamie. Again, everyone, we've been speaking with science journalist and author Jamie Green. Her new book is The Possibility of Life, Science Imagination, and Our Quest for Kinship in the Cosmos. The book's available through our friends at Amazon.com. You all can get it there or through your favorite local bookstore. It's published by Hanover Square Press and always gives us some great books. Jamie, how can our audience stay connected with you? Um, I am, for better or for worse, very active on Twitter and Instagram. Um, so I'm, my, my name there is Jamie Elise, which is J-A-I-M-E-A-L-Y-S-E. Um, I also have a newsletter that I send out occasionally with short essays and links to my work. And you can find that and actually links to my um, unfortunately spelled social media handles all at my website, which is jamiegreen.net. Love it. Jamie, congratulations to you again. Thank you again for the time. Thank and looking you so forward much. to speaking with you again. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Have a great day. Yeah, you as well. And we thank your audience for tuning in to another great segment of Conversations Live. Until next time, I'm your host, Cyrus Webb, and as always, enjoy your day, enjoy your life, enjoy your world. Thank you all for choosing Conversations Live. Let's go make today amazing. Take care.